1981, an avid 21-year-old runner was running, and he experienced some pain in his chest. He was in the hospital the day after Thanksgiving for what the doctors thought would be a routine heart arrhythmia surgery. The surgeons were quite confident that he was going to be okay. And his parents, just before they put him under, just said, hey, buddy, we'll see you later. This will be over in a few minutes. But they never saw him again. He died on the operating table. His mother was Billy Graham's little sister, Jean. His father, the well-known Billy Graham, uh, part of the well-known Billy Graham evangelistic team, Leeton Ford. Leeton Ford would go on to write these words in trying to understand what was going on in his heart, losing his healthy 21-year-old son. And he wrote these words. He said, the struggle is to bring our faith and our emotions together. And so, somewhat stealing from Leeton, I'm going to tweak the message title a little bit. And the title of our message is Bringing Faith and Feelings Together. If you are a guest with us here today, this is not a typical Sunday. We are, many of us, a grieving congregation. Approximately 10 days ago, uh, Bob, our original bass player, one of the first people I met when I came up here, he heard I was up here and contacted me, went to the emergency room on Wednesday, and he went home to be with the Lord Thursday a.m. Last Tuesday morning, our beloved uh, Pastor Rocco went to the emergency room and suddenly, like Bob, went home to be with the Lord Wednesday afternoon. Both men loved the Lord. Both men were fitness buffs. One was 61, and the other was almost 61. Both deaths completely shocking to those who knew them and loved them. I agree with Leighton Ford. The struggle is to bring our faith and our emotions together. Grief is, is very complex. I have over the years seen the charts of the process of grief, uh, how the experience is supposed to go. The only problem is I've never known anyone to stick to the chart. You say, do you have a lot of experience with death? Well, my grandmother was the oldest of 14 kids. She outlived all of them and all of their spouses and a lot of their kids. So when I was growing up, all I did was go to wakes and funerals. I was an altar boy, served at a lot of uh, funerals as an altar boy, I've lost my own dad, lost my own little sister. I, uh, that was just four years ago, have done many, many funerals. And so I've realized that death is so 
complex. People go in and out of the phases of grief in their own ways. Sometimes people are rational. Sometimes they're not. Sometimes they're laughing. And sometimes they're crying. And then sometimes they're laughing. And then sometimes they're crying. And sometimes they're quiet. And sometimes they're very talkative. It's not only complex, I think that, and I'm a, I'm a more of a, I love to observe human nature. Like I'm the kind of person that goes to an amusement park and doesn't go on the rides. I just want to sit and watch the people. Some of you are like, that's creepy, I know. <laughs> but, but it's not, grief is not only complex. I, I've noticed that it is uniquely complex. In other words, each of us experience death differently. And I want to say from the outset, that's okay. That's okay. Grieving is is a confusing, mind-numbing, hyper-emotional experience with some typical aspects to it. But the degree, the order, the emotions, all of that, I, I don't see any really systematic thing that is going on with people. The Apostle Paul founded the church in Thessalonica, and this young church sort of hit the ground running, and, and he, was, he was run out of town. And after a time, he sent Timothy, his young trainee, pastoral trainee, his young protege, uh, to check on them. And he came back with a report that they were doing well, but they had some questions. And so the, the Apostle Paul's writing this letter back to answer some of their questions. Sometimes that's the way we have to figure out the Bible. Like, why are they saying what they're saying? It's because they're asking a bunch of questions and he's answering them. Apparently, while the Apostle Paul was there starting the church, he he taught this young church, these brand new followers of Jesus, about the return of Jesus Christ, to be ready for the return of Jesus Christ. And it appears that they thought he would be returning very soon. Now, if you've been around the church any length of time, you might have heard the passage and thought, all right, here we go. We're going to hear about the rapture. We are. Wednesday night, May 8th. So you can come that night because that's when we're going we're gonna to go to this passage. Today, though, we're not going to listen to a theologian. We're going to listen to a pastor. And it's always important to remember that the apostles were pastors. They founded churches. They had congregations. And me personally... Uh, I had people come to me and say, you know, you, you lost one of your dearest friends in the whole world this week. Do you, do you want us to send a, a substitute speaker for you? Honestly, I think it would be pastorally irresponsible of me to do such a thing. And, and, and to not, to ignore it and pretend like it didn't happen would be, again, pastorally irresponsible of me. And so today we're going to hear Pastor Paul, I hope, speak to us, to speak to a people in Thessalonica who were grieving 
that they had lost loved ones before Jesus' return. But that's not only immediate family that was grieving. If you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus, we're thrilled that you're here. You might say, what am I here on this odd, weird Sunday for? I think there's certain times actually in the life of a church you can ne never find out better the pulse of a church than when they come together in crisis and in difficulty. And in the church, in a Bible-believing church, one that heart seeks to follow after Christ, we refer to one another as brother and sister. Now, sometimes it's because we can't remember people's names. But it's because we're a family. And when we lose one suddenly, it's like losing one of our own family suddenly. And we grieve. And that's okay. Earlier in the letter, the Apostle Paul wrote this, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 8. He said, so affectionately longing for you. What's he saying? We miss you. We miss you. We were well pleased to impart. That means to give to you not only the gospel of God. We were, we were pleased to tell you what we knew about the good news of Jesus Christ. And he says, but also our own lives. It wasn't just about our head. It, it was also we wanted to be with you. Why? He says, because you had become dear to us. And so today in this passage in chapter 4, I, I want us to just sort of divide it up into three areas. It's not a classic verse-by-verse -verse Bible teaching that I, that I normally do. But I want to talk about I, some important things, whether, whether you know the people I'm talking about or you don't. You've lost someone, you uh, will in the future, or you want to know how to talk to someone who's lost someone. And so if you're taking notes, we're going to divide this up into three different portions. And the first one is this. When it comes to death, we grieve differently. We, followers of Jesus, grieve differently. Verse 13, he says, but I do not want you to be ignorant. Now that word sounds you know, offensive to us. But some of your verses say uninformed. I don't want you to be uh, uninformed, brethren, that would be, brothers and sisters, concerning those who have fallen asleep, that would be, that's, a, that's a biblical word for those who have died, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. So he says, I don't want you to, to sorrow as people who have no hope. Another version says that you may not grieve as others who, others who do not have hope or who do have no hope. So followers of Jesus, we think about death differently in the sense that we have the hope of the forgiveness of sins. We have the hope of eternal life. We have the hope of resurrection. So we're not the people in, in, the, in the funeral parlor that's sitting there going, well, they're in a better place. And walking away going, well, I hope they're in a better place. No, we have an assurance of such things. Now, I want you to notice something very, very carefully in this verse here, verse 13. 
he says, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. The Apostle Paul doesn't say we don't grieve. He's saying we grieve differently. I really want to back that up. I want to say it again because I don't want any of us to miss this. He doesn't say that we don't grieve. He says, lest you sorrow as others, we sorrow differently. We grieve differently. So he's not saying we don't grieve. We do have sorrow. We do experience the the painful distress that death brings. And we need time to sort things out. And to be perfectly honest with you, sometimes I think nobody is worse at grieving than followers of Jesus. We can be the worst of the worst when it comes to this. Why? Many of us try to act hyper-spiritual. Everybody else looks at us like we're nut jobs, and they might be right. I believe it's totally unhealthy, and it's quite sad. In Philippians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul is writing to the Philippian church, telling them about his dear friend Epaphrodites, who was with him and almost died. Hear his words of Philippians 2.27. For indeed he was sick, almost unto death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. Now, some of us might sit here and say, why would he write that? I mean, this dude was a machine. He was planting churches, getting beaten up. Nothing seemed to faze this guy. I mean, he, he seems to me like some sort of a, a robot, right? Answer, no, no. And, and while we, of course, want to be like Jesus, realistically, we're not perfect. We're not going to be exactly like Jesus. The closest we could ever achieve is trying to aspire to be like the Apostle Paul, who is for many of us uh, who are Bible readers, the model Christian, not the model robot. Let me give you a cheesy example from a scene in a movie that deeply impacted me. The movie didn't, but the scene did. In 2004, Will Smith was in a movie called iRobot. And he's asked by a scientist to explain, she's a robotic scientist, explain how he lost his arm. Going down the road, in a big tractor trailer pinned two cars of us against the wall. We spun out of control and we went down into the water, the two cars. He's a detective. He looks over at the car next to him and he realizes that there's a little girl in that car. Turns out that it was a 12-year-old girl that was in that car that was drowning. He says to the scientist, I'm a cop. I know. We're done. We're done. We're not getting out of this thing. Next thing I know, a, a Robot comes down and, and, and punches in the window of my car 
And he says, I'm yelling to the robot, save the girl, save the girl, save the girl. And the scientist says, well, the robot would have saved the person in either car based upon the calculations it was making. And he interrupts the the scientist and he says this, I know. I had a 45% chance of survival, the robot calculated. And the robot calculated that that 12-year-old girl only had an 11% chance of survival. And then he said this. That was somebody's baby. And 11% was more than enough. And then he says, a human being would have known that. Robots, nothing in the heart. He says, you can trust them. That's why I'm never going to trust him. My dear friends, let us be human beings that know such things. Not calculated robots with a bunch of data, but not not understanding the way things really are. When Jesus' friend Lazarus was dead at the tomb, Jesus knew that he was going to raise him from the dead. We're told that Jesus wept. It says next after that, the Jews said, see how much he loved him. Now, I know there's a lot of theological people with much bigger theological minds than me that say, um, well, well, he knew he was going to raise him from the dead and he felt bad that he was going to bring him back from paradise. I'm just not there. I'm just not there. I'm thinking that the sting of death saddened Jesus. And so in death, we, we have sorrow We have heavy, painful distress. We need time to cry. We need to process what has happened. We are not robots. We are not zombies. And we dare not treat those who grieve like they are robots. Or they are zombies. Or they are not human. Facing this reality and expressing emotions being honoring to the dearly departed, talking about them and moving on, putting all of those things together is really tough. It's it's not easy. Think about it. Someone you love has been torn from you. You have no idea what the next step is. I've heard that from so many people, my own mother. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? Just, just in, in, in working with, with Pastor Rocco, so many things that he did around here, I just said to my wife, what am I going to do? For, for many of us, each next step is, is filled with anxiety. For others, the steps are, are, are filled with guilt, thinking what, what could have been. Some people have this anger. Why didn't they have any more time? Some people are worried they're grieving too much. Other people are worried that they're grieving too little. Some people make big decisions too quickly. Other people are completely paralyzed. And I don't know for sure, but it seems to me that in His grace and in our grief, the Lord gives us time 
to be overly absorbed in such things. That, that the Lord is, is allowing us to heal in His timing, to, to, to deal with somehow the loss that we have experienced. People need to give people space and time to grieve. Grieving is not unspiritual. Grieving is not a sign of weak faith. Grieving is the way it should be. Personally, I miss Bob. I miss Rocco. I miss many others who have been part of our congregation, who have gone home to be with the Lord, as well as many family members and and friends. I grieve over my loss. I grieve over your loss. I don't grieve over their loss. I'm happy for them. Jesus is on the cross, Luke chapter 23. Two criminals on either side, one repents. Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you, Luke 23, 43, and Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. That's great news. That is great news. That fills my heart with hope. 2 Corinthians 5, 8 The Apostle Paul says, we are confident, yes, well, pleased, rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. That is good news. That is good news. You're no longer in your body. You're gone. And you're with the Lord. Philippians chapter 1, verse 21 through 23, the Apostle writes, For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I live on in the flesh... This will mean fruit from my labor. Very interesting. My wife said to me the other day, she said, I don't understand why Rocco and, and gosh, there are so many men in this church that Rocco has touched. So many. And, And my wife says, I just can't understand men young and old. My wife said, I can't understand why here's a guy with so much ministry in front of him. Why God would take him? I had no answer for it. I don't. I okay. I believe in God's sovereignty. I believe it is appointed unto man to die, to die once, and then the judgment. I know this stuff, but I don't get God's plan. God didn't consult me in the plan. I would have vetoed it. <laughs> he says, "But if I live on in the flesh, that will mean fruit from my labor." Yet what shall I choose? I cannot tell. For I am hard pressed between the two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. That, that's, that's good news. That's why we grieve differently, but we do grieve. Number two, when it comes to death, we think differently. We who are followers of Jesus, we think differently. Well, why? He tells us, verse 14, for if or since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, God will bring with him, with Jesus, 
those who sleep in Jesus. Remember, sleep is for those who die. For those who die in faith and trust in Jesus Christ, God is going to bring them with Jesus. That means they are with Jesus. So we think about death differently. The Apostle Paul ties our grief to our faith in the hope of Jesus Christ and the resurrection for all who sleep in Jesus. Interesting, the Bible uses the word sleep. We're reminded that that sleep is something we wake up from. So they are dearly departed loved ones in Christ, in Jesus. They, They went to sleep, but they woke up right away in the presence of Jesus. But we have to look a little bit deeper at these things. Sometimes we have to, we just can't take a verse and discount what we just read. Remember, he told us we grieve, but we grieve differently. So, so yet we have a, a different pattern of thinking. So we have to remember, okay, we are still grieving as we seek to rest in Jesus. And that is one of those things that is not easy to understand. Because you feel like you're, you're grieving and then you're like, okay, I'm resting in Jesus. And then something just reminds you. And then you're grieving again. And the other guy's like, ah, some lousy Christian you are. But that's the way grief is. In time, we will see God to be greater than our grief. Although it's a process. And that's such an important word when we talk about grief, that, that it's a process. And, and, and it's not something where it's going to be the same for everybody. It's not going to be the same for everybody. What does the process look like? It, it, it varies. One, one thing that's hard is everybody I've ever spoken to who's grieving, <laughs> they know they have to move on. But sometimes you just get stuck or sometimes maybe you're just moving on too fast. And, 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 and God's sort of reigning in it a, li- a little bit. It's important to be patient. Maybe instead of trying to put the pedal to the metal of making everything back to the way it was or the way you think it should be, maybe you should just stop and breathe. Take a breath. Take an inventory of, of kind of what's going on. Pray. Grow in your faith. Write. Just read your, write. And you think, oh, I don't know. I, I, I might write some stuff God might not like. Now, a lot of times when I do funerals, I'll say, you know, a lot of you grew up um, hearing that you're never allowed to be mad at God. And people go, yes, yes, yes. I go, nobody ever told the Bible writers that. <laughs> Those guys were mad at God a lot. Now, eventually they'd come around, and, and, and you will too. But so grow in your faith. Journal. Don't isolate yourself. Talk to people. Listen to people. And let the Lord Jesus bring you along. This week was very tough for me in a lot of ways. I didn't say this stuff at the last service, but... You know, I was just, Tanisha and I were there on Rocco's last day when he was awake. And, and when he would 
she would leave the room, he would tell me, this is it. This is it. I'm not going to make it. I'm not going to make it. And so I was, you know, I was trying to, I was trying to help her. The next day, we lost them. There was others there, and I was, I was sort of a liaison between her and the and the doctors and the and the dopey chaplain that was there, and <laughs> and and then he went and we got her in to see the last him for the last minute of his life, and and everybody was crying, and I was sort of in the pastor mode, and I've been answering your emails and your texts and all the people contacting me and. Same thing happened to me when, when my dad died. I thought it was going to kill my mother. And then when my little sister died, I thought it was going to kill my mother. I didn't realize my little sister died till a month later when I was doing somebody else's funeral. They're like, oh, that was so touching. I was like, no, I realized my sister died. Friday night I was driving home and I, I called Tanisha and we talked for a long time. And then she said this. I know you loved my husband so much. And he loved you so much. You must really miss him. It was like Jesus came and sat in the front seat with me. It's hard, man. You 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 try to you try to fight off the the bitterness and the regrets. My dad and I were very close. My dad died one month after September 11th. Talk about the sea of emotions. And, and he lived in Long Island, so I was like surprised I didn't get arrested at the George Washington Bridge every time I went over it. <laughs> I'd be driving on the shoulder and stuff like that the morning he died trying to get to him. And um, my kids barely knew him. My, my two oldest remember him, but my little guy, Tim, who is most like my father... Doesn't remember him at all. Can I be honest with you? I hate that. I hate that. I still miss my father. You know, a lot of you guys got bad dad stories. I got nothing like that. I got nothing like that. That's probably why I'm so fearless. There's still days when I I think of him and, and my eyes well up. And it's been a long time. <laughs> he would be like, move on, boy. <laughs> so, so slowly I had to get rid of a lot of the stuff of my dad. It took years. All the reminders and stuff that I had so I didn't sit around all day just obsessing over my dad and, and crying over my dad. But I kept two things. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Sometimes you just keep two things that are just so special to you. I have next to my bed, next to my alarm clock, a picture of him and me when I'm about three or four years old. And we had gone fishing together. And I was on his knee. And then down in my office, downstairs in my basement, um, I... uh, my second truck I bought in my trucking company, nobody would lend me any, was dumb enough to lend me any money. 
So I borrowed $10,000 from my father, and he gave me a coupon book. <laughs> he had plenty of money, I found out when he died. <laughs> but I keep that coupon book down next to my office as a reminder to me of how proud my father was of me and how my father always wanted me to press on. Just those two things. Take it for what it is. It helped me let go, but it helped me hold, hold on. If that, makes, that might make sense to some of you. It might make no sense to others. I love it when the Apostle Paul says God will bring with Jesus those who belong to Jesus. That word with means a lot to me. Followers of Jesus know that those who turn to God and put their trust in Jesus are with Jesus. And that cannot change. And because of Easter, because the tomb is empty, we can be confident in the promises of God. Because of the cross, we remember the nail-pierced feet that walked to us and brought us the good news and we can experience the comfort of Christ in our loss. We have the person and power of the Holy Spirit who will be with us every step of the hard and painful journey of grief. And that's why we think differently. That's why we think differently. Number three, when it, when it comes to death, we comfort differently. We comfort differently. Verse 15, uh, For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. What is he saying? Loved ones, don't worry about them. Don't worry about them. God has a plan for them. It's not just the plan for those of you that are here living on earth. He's got a plan for them. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout and the voice of an archangel and the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. That's known as the rapture of the church. Sorry, May 8th. That's a Wednesday. And then he tells us the good news. And thus, we shall always be with the Lord. All of us who are in Christ, thus, we shall always be with the Lord. Now, it's interesting. People argue this passage about the rapture and all that kind of stuff. To me, they totally miss the point. They totally miss the point. Because look at what verse 18 says. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Don't argue about it with each other. Comfort one another. Now, being a pastor, you go to uh, far more funerals than most people do. And you know how they try to move the line along? Well, when you're clergy... You're allowed to stand there, and nobody thinks, like, oh, what's he doing here? They keep you there. And you get to hear some of the stuff that people say. And it's a very sensitive time. And some of the things that I'm about to say are not going to be easy for some of us to hear. 
But I tell you this because I know this beyond a shadow of a doubt. I know you guys, and I know you would rather be a sense of comfort than a source of grief, wouldn't you? Wouldn't you rather be a source of and sense of comfort to people than to be grief? So what does that mean? You have to be careful in what you say. You have to be careful. The, the same is, is true for, for the weeks that follow, for the, for the months that follow. You know, everybody else goes back to their life. But the someone who, ha- someone who has lost someone who is very close to them, they're not back to their life. They're still getting mail with the name on it. They're still changing their food shopping. They're still laundry is different. Calls are different. You know, oh, is so-and-so there? No, they're not there. Well, when will they be there? They won't be here for you. These things just, just don't just disappear. And even the years that follow are going to be different. That brings us to an important point. It is my experience, and this is just experience, that, that most people need three years to a year to adjust. Now, I was having this conversation with some of the people here saying, as a congregation, just in the loss that we've had here, I would expect us to feel some of the ramifications of this through Christmas for most of us. There's certain people you just 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 don't go out of your life and they're you're like, oh, they're gone. We will never walk in that radio room the same again. Never. You say, well, we'll just move it. Fine. Over my dead body, you'll move it. And so most people need three months to a year to adjust. However, one to four years is very common. And for some people, it's even longer than that. There's a command in the Bible that we, we, we dare not miss, Romans 12, 15. We, we give lip service to it, but it's so, so important. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. So that, that sounds, on the one hand, very easy, but, but is it as easy as it sounds? What does that look like? What does that sound like? Well, again, what you're about to hear, some of this might be hard for some of you. I, I understand that. But, but, but unfortunately, having watched people go in these processions, Christians, non-Christians, let's just talk about Christians, watching people go in these processions, um, much of what people say, I would say, goes under the heading of right doctrine, wrong timing. Right theology, but you said it at the wrong time. See, we all know it's, it's easy to be so right and at the same time be so wrong, isn't it? One thing I would suggest is don't state the obvious. There's no need to state stuff that people already know. People say stuff like, well, God is in control. Well, they're not doubting that. You just have to trust Jesus. How do you know they're not? I've heard people say, well, we all die. What? 
Like, I want to take out a gun and go, how about you now? (laughs) Or people go, well, at least they're in heaven. Well, good for them, but we're not. And we miss them terribly. Or some variation of Romans 8.28. You know, well, God works together all things for good. How many times have we said, you know, that sounds a lot better coming out of your mouth than it does going into your ears? People tend to break that out at the worst time. At the worst time. Don't tell people how to feel. Don't tell people you know how they are feeling because you don't. We all process things differently. Don't tell people, well, you're strong. You're going to get through this because right now they just feel like they're just, they're just, they're, they're ready to check out sometimes. Sometimes people actually walk up to people when they lose a spouse and they go, I know you'll remarry. I'm like, I bought a knife too. <laughs> You know, don't, don't presuppose you know what happened. And I would actually say don't even ask. If they offer it, listen. But please don't try and top it. You know, the pe- person you tell something that happens, they go, oh, you think that's bad. I know somebody, and it's like, don't do that. So you say, what do I say? How about just a kind word about the person who has recently gone on to the next life? How about an encouraging story of how they, how they influenced your life? It's okay to say that, that you're sorry. It's, it's okay that to, to tell the people that have been deeply affected that you love them. It's okay to tell them that you are praying for them. It's okay for you to cry too. It's okay for you to cry and, and, and to, to say how much you love the person and how much they personally meant to you and how much you will miss them. Make it about the deceased and those very close to them, not about you. Because if you were in that situation, that's what you would want. My friend Ed Taylor, who pa- he's on our station, he pastors out in Colorado. Um, he lost his son, and his son was in his late 20s. He was a state trooper and had, a, had heart failure. And he um, called this week, too, to, to wish us all the best. And, and he lists five things not to say to your grieving friend. Some of them overlap and some of the things that I said, but I just cut the article out this morning of what he wrote. And he said, don't tell them I know exactly how you feel. You don't. Every grief is different. Instead, say I'm deeply sorry for the pain you're feeling. Interestingly enough, he says, don't say, how are you? Obviously, they are likely doing horrible. Focus on the present moment. How are you right now? I actually told him when I first read this, I said, you know, for someone who's chronically ill, you could write these same things. Because everybody says, are you better? And the people who are chronically ill say to one another, what kind of a day are you having? Ed says, don't say this, you'll get over it. 
Death is not something a person gets over. It is more encouraging to say, I pray for you regularly. Ed says, Romans 8, 28, don't say to them, God works all things together for those who love him. True, but at the wrong moment, it could be misunderstood or hurtful. Instead, say, Jesus loves you. He understands grief. (laughs) Fifthly, he says, don't say to people, you look pretty bad today. Pointing out the obvious can seem critical. Express concern. I love you, and I haven't forgotten you. You know, it's important to let people cry and to give them space. You know, I hear, you sit in the line, you hear person after person, if you need anything, call me. If you need anything, call me. If you need anything, call me. They're never going to call you. They're never going to call you. They don't remember who said it. They don't remember anything. They're, they're just they're just dazed. Later on, when everybody else is forgotten, then offer help. Can I bring you some meals? Hey, listen, I'm, I'm free this day, these days. I'm free this Saturday. Anything I can do, anything. Don't be pushy. And don't offer help unless you're serious. Important to remember, it's okay if you don't know what to say. Understand that it's your presence that matters. A handshake or a hug will do just fine. So many people walked in and out of this church in between services and just walked up to me and just hugged me. There was nothing better you could have said. Nothing. Because there's nothing to say. My heart is broken. Just broken. Nothing you're going to say is going to fix it. I know it's going to get better. I know it won't always hurt like this. But just a hug or a handshake goes a long way. It's an old expression. When the grief is the newest, let your words be the fewest. A wise person said that. Again, put yourself in people's shoes. Comforting, grieving people involves letting a lot of things slide. When, when people are grieving, there's a lot of confusion in their lives, and they need time to process it. Let them have time to process it. You know, it's interesting. You read uh, secular psychology and this, this group and that group and Christians and all this kind of things, and there's one thing they all agree on is that grieving people are working towards acceptance. But it's a process. Sometimes it goes well and you think you got it, and other times you're like, what's wrong with me? And they're all working towards it. And nobody wants it to happen faster than they do, but it, but it is not, you can't just put a time thing on it. Many of you are there right now. Losing a pastor is traumatic for a church. Many of you have recently lost loved ones. Many of you have been grieving loved ones for a long time. You are there right now. You are, you are working towards acceptance. That's okay. That's normal. 
life will not be the same and the reconstruction and reorganization of someone's life is not easy. Don't don't tell people to get it together. This is a situation where the compassion of Jesus is needed. Now, most of you right now would go, I would never tell anybody to get it together. You know what? I know a lot of you, and you do it almost every day because you're telling yourself you need to get it together. This is not going to happen that way. Isaiah 53.3 says about Jesus that he was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. I love that about Jesus. Jesus gives me hope that, that sorrow, love, joy, and peace can live together in your heart. All at the same time. And just sometimes things are just going to take time. Jesus' sorrow was great. And yet he still went and died on the cross and rose from the dead so all who would put their trust in him would never die. Now, theologically, sin is responsible for pain and the sorrow of death. I find that when, I, when I'm with people that are grieving, that I have to really throw out my theologian identity and really put on my pastor identity and my human identity. And I know that that's why, that's why that, uh, people die, because of sin. But to be honest with you, this is just my own personal experience, I find comfort, real comfort, in the fact that my own Heavenly Father watched His own Son die. And He knows the pain that I feel when I have to watch a loved one die. And Jesus yelled out on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And let us not discount the pain of the father having to forsake his son so we could have the forgiveness of sins. Those who we loved, who we don't know if they were in Christ, we have no choice other than to place them in the hands of a holy and just God and trust him. Those we loved who, and, and still do who we know had put their trust in Christ. Let me tell you, if you're, if you're not a follower of Jesus, those guys would want nothing more for you than to become a follower of Jesus, to put your trust in him. And if you are a follower, the particular men we've lost in the recent future, I can tell you this, they would want you to press on. They wouldn't want you to give up. John chapter 14, verse 1 and 3, Jesus speaking at the Last Supper. Let not your heart be troubled. Do you believe in God? Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. And then I love this line. If it were not so, I would have told you. I've told you the truth, guys. It's like, if it wasn't that way, if we didn't go in the ground and that's it, I would have told you that. But if it was not true, that I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. 
If you'd like to go to heaven, turn to God, confess your sins, put your trust in Jesus today, and you will receive the forgiveness of sins and eternal life. Here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, we've had a, an apostolic sandwich. At the beginning, he says one thing, and at the end, he sort of says the same thing, and there's stuff, there's stuff in the middle that we eat. Verse 13, he began that those who have gone before us, God will bring them with Jesus. And then he ends in verse 17, he says, we will be reunited with them, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. With all those that have preceded us in the faith, we will always be with them and the Lord. Therefore, because of that, comfort one another with these words. So as a church, this is a season of, of grief and grace for us. It's going to take a while to bring our faith and our feelings together. That's okay. That's okay. Let's not run from it. Let's embrace it. Let's model Christ's compassion to one another. Let's honor Christ. And let's honor our friends and our loved ones who are in Christ, who are no longer with us, but with the Lord. Let us remember that we will see them again. And let us comfort one another with these words. Well, let's pray.